I've made as many mistakes as I've got it right, but I'm the kind of person that I don't procrastinate about much. Mm. So I don't sit and, and I overthink anything. My belief is make a decision. If it's a bad decision, you could always make a new decision. Sure. If you make no decision, you're in the same place you were before before you started the journey. So I'd rather make a decision and make a bad one than not make one at all. The Alpha Talks podcast crafts you and your business into an alpha, not for the faint-hearted. I am Sefer Hakim, serial entrepreneur and your success mentor, founder of the Alpha Movement, and people call me the Alpha. And that's for a reason, of course. With 20 plus years of experience and eight figures portfolio of businesses, myself and the show guests will be striking thunder of top-notch listening in business and mindset. No bull, just first-class value, not like others. So join us now to become your own version of an alpha. Welcome back, alphas, to a new episode of the Alpha Talks podcast. I've got a very, very special alpha for you today. A true alpha in the world of finance, entrepreneurship, and personal development. He's a financial expert, a sought-after motivational speaker, and a visionary entrepreneur who inspired countless individuals around the globe. His journey from the world of finance to becoming a powerful force in the personal development space is nothing short of remarkable. He's not just a successful entrepreneur, he's a dedicated mentor, speaker, author, and a driving force behind some of the most impactful changes in people's lives. He's in the top 100 most influential people in Dubai, award-winning podcast host and business strategist, founder of Make It Happen and Blue Sky Thinking Group. So get ready to be inspired, motivated, and empowered as we shine the Alpha Spotlight on Spencer Dodge. Welcome, Spencer, to the Alpha Talk podcast. Thank Happy you. to see you today. Can you read that again, slowly? I want to record it. <laughs> no, I record it. I want to post it on my social media. I like that. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for being with us today, actually. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, uh, I'm really delighted to do this and looking forward to having some fun with you. Same here, same here. And the fun will start. So before we start, the first time I saw Spencer, I was invited in an event. And really, this guy pumped, pumped me up with a move. Okay, so we want to make this move now. <laughs> Can we do it? <laughs> Sitting, standing, doesn't matter. <laughs> but we have to do it. Well, we need to give we need. I think we need to give people some context as well. Okay, <laughs> so... So when you when you have an audience of people, you want to try and create energy with those people. Yeah. And the way you create energy is getting them to do an exercise together. Mm-hmm. And if you get them all to do it, okay, or at least most of them to do it, when they do it, they feel better, but they also look at who's around them and they smile and laugh yeah. and they get happy. So, so that's the whole purpose of it. Yeah, I'm waiting for it. You know, I'm waiting to do this move. And he called the inner warrior. I'm a good That's right. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to... You have to understand what's inside your stomach, okay? Because we've all got stomach muscles. We just we just don't always know they're there. But we can all tense up. Yeah. Because if you tense the area up, you can you can focus your energy there. Mm-hmm. And what you've got to do is you've got to bring the biggest roar that you possibly can out of inside of here and out here like this. Okay. And so when we stood up, it's slightly different to sat down. But we get in a position where we kind of like, we clench our fists and we're kind of getting mm-hmm. focused together. And then we have a countdown. And the whole purpose is to roar as loud as you can for as long as you can and expand the energy. And what will happen is it would change your state. So immediately your state will go from one of maybe relaxed or lethargic or or chilled, Mm -hmm. almost horizontal sometimes people are. 
It's just a place of being alert and alive and present. And I think that's... I'm waiting for it, guys. Okay. I'll break your microphone. So everyone that's listening right now, turn it down as I do this. Okay. So we count down from three, two, when you're doing it with me. Yeah, okay. Three, two, one. <laughs> Spencer, I love it. I love oh, I'm it. so sorry for those people listening. Sorry, guys. Your, your, your ears are going to hurt. <laughs> I guess the first time I've done that on a podcast. <laughs> first time ever I've done that on a podcast. So. But I really, really love it. <laughs> Thank you for doing it. I'm totally pumped up. So, before we start, let's say somebody looked at the thumbnail on Spotify, YouTube, uh, whatever platform, and this, they saw the thumbnail, they saw the title, and they thought it's interesting. What can we promise from this episode if they gave us their time, what they will give? Uh, they'll gain authenticity uh, and they'll find insights into my 53 years of life and experience maybe and um and hopefully they'll leave they'll leave knowing a little bit more than they knew before and maybe they'll have some tools that they can use to help them progress with their careers their businesses or their lives i'm sure they're gonna get that i'm sure they're gonna get that okay spencer who's spencer lord my name my name's a weird old name you know because in, in england my name sounds like an old people's home so not in your culture, you have this, but in our culture, in your culture, the, your, your, your grandparents stay with you in the family home. Yeah. In our culture, we send them away because they become annoying. <laughs> and we put them into these, these, these old, we call them old people's homes, but they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're retirement accommodation and stuff like that. And so my name sounds like that. It's like, where are you staying? I'm staying at Spencer Lodge. <laughs> so, so who am I? What's important to understand about me is that, that I'm nothing special. I really am not. And although people may paint a picture, I come from a place of a bad education. I failed at school. I, I, I had no real um, kind of like career defining direction. I didn't have a wealthy father or mother. Um, and so I was, I was the kid that tried a few different things when I was young, wasn't very good at it. And then I learned about sales. And when I learned about sales, I was taught by somebody who was exceptionally talented at sales, but also exceptionally talented at teaching sales. Mm -hmm. And this man over a period of 18 months, whose name is David Schillingus, I'll never forget him and he's someone special in my life. He taught me what it was to be a professional salesperson. And when I learned that skill, I realized it was one of the most important skills to know in business. Mm -hmm. Now, again, well, you're learning it. You know, most people fail in sales because they face rejection a lot. True. But my boss, my boss said to me on day one of the job, he said, I want you to make some cold calls. I was like, okay. And I, bear in mind, I'm young. Mm. I'm like, I'm 19 years old. I don't know shit. Easy. You know, I know nothing. I've never been in business before. And he said, make these 100 cold calls for me today. That's what I want you to do. Here's your script. Here are the the, the, the objections you're going to face. This is this is what I want you to do. In this box, bear in mind, this is the 80s. This box here has got the names and numbers of everyone. And this box here is a calendar. So you just put them in the callbacks. But what I want you to do is I want you to get 100 people to say no. I was like, what, call 100 people and get 100 to say no? He's like, yeah. And again, I'm young, I don't know. So I did that, picked the phone up, called people. Every time somebody said no, it was like a win because I was told to go and get 100 no's. Yeah. So he said, get no's, get no's. And so they said no, and some people would swear and some people would be abusive. And I'd be like, thanks, bye. <laughs> but the phone, it's another one. Oh, it's another one. You know, lunch came after lunch. I got back on the phone again, 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 again. Got 100 no's. Took them to my boss at the end of the day. He gives me a high five. He's like, great job. You've come to go home and, okay, don't know what I'm doing. 
Next day I go to work, he's like, right, he goes, do me a favour, he goes, really big job for you today. I'm like, what's that boss? He said, go and get me another hundred no's. Okay. No, no, no. I'm like, okay, thanks, bye. And so we got to the end of that day, he gave me a big high five again, gave me a hug. He said, you're doing a fantastic job. I'm really impressed with you. Mm. And I'm not achieving anything in my mind. I'm just getting people to say no, which is like, and there were people that wanted to say yes, but no, it's not the right time for you. <laughs> this is outside your budget or whatever. It was like, <laughs> and then on the, on the third day, he said to me, will you do me a favor? Will you get me 99 no's today? I was like, right, okay. And he said, and get me one yes. I was like, okay. And uh, he said, so make sure, okay, whatever you do, get those 99 no's. Don't, don't come back to me without the 99 no's. So I got on the phone and eventually I found somebody that was interested and said yes to book a meeting. And I booked a meeting and I got the 99 no's. And at the end of the day, he said, great job. What he was teaching me to understand is rejection. And to understand that rejection's only painful if you take it that way. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a, a Spanish actress called Penelope Cruz, yeah. and she said once, if someone gives you bad information, someone uses bad language, someone's abusive to you, but they don't do it in the language you can understand, what is it? Well, it's noise. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. You know, if someone shouts at me in Arabic, I don't know what you're saying. You could be saying, you're amazing. You could be saying, I hate you. But I don't know. So there's no meaning to it. And so when someone shouts you in a language and there's no meaning to it, so... What meaning do you put to it? Mm-hmm. So then when you think about rejection, what meaning do you put to rejection? So you go in a bar and you meet an attractive young lady mm-hmm. and you go over and you say, hi, can I buy you a drink? You know, can I buy you a coffee? And she's like, no. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. that's rejection. Now, is she rejecting you? Or is she, re- she maybe she has a boyfriend or a husband or something? What's, what's being rejected here? The problem most people have is they take rejection really personally. It really upsets them. It's like that person said no. And so they said no to me. They don't like me. But my boss was trying to teach me to understand that how dare you be so arrogant to think that somebody is going to say yes to you every time. Mm -hmm. They're going to say no to you more times than yes. And if you understand that, you make peace with it. True. And then you're muscled. That's right. And you know you have to pursue no's to eventually get your yes. But when you're 19 years old and you're being taught that, that's going into this malleable brain of yours, as it did for me, and it taught me I needed to pursue no's to find yeses. Mm-hmm. And so then anyone rejecting me at any time ever Problem. just bounced off yeah. me. I no longer feared anyone saying no. I then no longer feared anyone creating a problem for me. Mm-hmm. And that manifested itself in my life when I then got on social media because I was attacked online in my early days. And lots of people would say, my business partner, Danielle, would say, oh, that person is so horrible to you. That's dis- disgusting. They would send a message like that. Oh, please don't need, you know, abusive stuff. And, and I'd be like, yeah, what do you think? Everyone's going to love me. I'm like, who cares? He's like maybe having a bad day. And then one day I did a video and somebody commented under the video, something nasty. And, um, and then he messaged me after. And I'm like, are you okay? Because in his comment, he said, can you, he said something, and I just went, are you okay? And then he responded to me, he said, look, I've been sat here for the last 15 minutes. I've never trolled anyone ever, but I can't delete the comment that I wrote on your post. <laughs> Would you please, please remove, remove it for me? And I went, no. And, and then another guy wrote something really nasty. And I was on the balcony of my house on the palm. And he's, you don't live on the palm. You're in a friend's house. How dare you? You lying scumbag, whatever. I went for a walk three nights later one evening with a friend of mine and we were walking down the street 
the guy the guy was walking towards us a big fat mm. guy and as he walked towards us we kind of separated and he walked between us and he looked back and he went are you spencer lodge and there's me going oh he knows me from social media yeah, oh, yeah. hi nice to meet you he said hi nice to meet you he said I wrote a really nasty comment on your post the other day. I didn't think you lived on the palm and now I can see you walk in here. So I want to say sorry. And so had those types of comments really hurt me, it would have probably affected my mood, my energy, my performance at work, my my positivity, my mood at home. But they don't because rejection is, is not my problem. And as my mum said, mm -hmm. what you think of me is none of my business. Mm -hmm. And when you say that enough, and so I think I learned a lot about that when I was young, I learned how to deal with rejection. And that was what then made me able to understand the numbers game, understand that sales is about getting out, speaking to as many people as possible and understanding that only a few are going to be interested, but those few are just fine. Mm -hmm. But you've got to get through the ones that aren't interested to find the ones that are. So you started your career with sales. Yep. Right. And I'm 100% sure that if anybody's looking for a skill to develop in himself, it is sales. But I want to move a little bit further from this thing. How do you maintain this level of energy? And you believe in energy, right? Why you have this kind of energy? Because nobody's born with that type of energy. So you have to develop it in yourself or you see a value in it to have this type of energy. Mm. What's the alternative? No, there are dull people. There are people that are down. You come into the place, you smile. As soon as you came to the studio, you smiled with everyone. You spoke to everyone. You put the vibes up. So you believe in this. But it's to me, it's like, what is the actual alternative? If I'm realistic, if I walk into a room, imagine I came in here today. Hello, nice to meet you. Sorry I'm late. That's great. And you're like, hey, Spencer, nice to meet you, man, you know? And I'm like, yeah, nice to meet you too. You know, we're going to do this podcast. That would that would change the mood of the environment. It would change the energy. To me, it's like, we have no choice. We can be optimistic. We can be pessimistic. Or as our fathers will say, I'm not pessimistic. I'm a realist. And it's like, why do our fathers say that? Because they've had lots of disappointments. But nobody will admit that they're pessimistic. But then you think about your life. How do you live your life? You've got to live it optimistically. So for me, it's like being positive all the time is important. Now, where do I get that, that juice from? I, I go to the gym every morning at five o'clock. You know, I get that because I know my day will be better. So that's important to me. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. And so I, if I'm going to meet you let, for the first time, what am I going to show you my my average side of me, my, my mediocre side, my miserable side. I mean, imagine, imagine if that's the person yeah. you got to know. What would you think about me after I left? And you spoke to other people here and you said, yeah, he will. what about him? You know, so for me, it's like, I don't have any choice. Now, I know that not everybody has to be at this high level all of the time, you know, but that's okay. And I don't judge anyone. Mm -hmm. I have to be. But some moment in your life inspired you to be like this or you've been always like this? Because we coach people. I, I, I come from a place where I hate people failing. <laughs> I, not failing. I hate people losing. And I want everyone to win. And the world's big enough for everybody to win. <laughs> and I, I just want everyone to be the best version of themselves they can be. And the vast majority of society are not. The vast majority. There's only a small percentage that really are firing on all cylinders. And so for me, it's like, if there's a way that this energy can leave somebody a tiny bit inspired, a tiny bit motivated, just more than they were, then that's got to be worth doing. Mm. Then what motivates you to do that? What motivates Spencer? I don't, I don't like seeing people suffer. I, I struggle with seeing people suffer. It comes from a 
pain standpoint like you suffered before this that's why you I think that I think that when I was young I learned how to sell so then forevermore I had a skill I could use I could always make money no matter what I can sell I can make money whether it's selling houses electrical equipment office equipment it doesn't matter I can find a way I know the process I've learned how to sell but watching people in pain is something that really kind of impacts me and seeing people lose is something that impacts me mm. and I often see people's potential easier than they see their own potential and now I meet people and I'm like you're amazing like why do you talk yourself down what was this negative self-talk don't you realize what you could be don't you realize how amazing you could be and then oh yeah no I don't and so that pumps me up because I just I just want people to create success for themselves mm. because living in a world of mediocrity or living in a world of uh, I wouldn't say poverty but you know low income it's like nobody has to be there you know, nobody has to be there. In every country in the world, in every society, there is a poor man that came from nothing mm. that made a fortune. 100%. There is a poor man that came from nothing that changed the world. In every country, in every uh, society in the world. And, and when you know that, then that determines to me that anyone can. And if anyone can, let me try and be the salt and pepper that goes on top of the food to make it tastier. Let me be the fire in the belly. Let me be the energy that people can get. Let me be the person that if they need someone to know that believes in them, let me be that person. I'm happy to do that. That's why you pivoted or not? It was, that was one of the main reasons? No, I think I've always been like that. I've always cared. I know that when you started like the, the sales in finance and then you wanted and you shifted, I would say, to personal development or added to a portfolio person. I don't think, I, I don't like personal development. I don't like motivation. I don't, I think, I think I'm a strategy guy. Mm -hmm. Loads of people are academically pushed by their parents mm -hmm. to work hard and study at school. And uh, Indians are great at this, you know, it's like the most important thing is you go to university, you get a degree and you go and study something that mum and dad want you to study, you know, Engineer counters, accountancy, all that shit, yeah. And it's like, when I look at that, I'm like, is that, is that what ends up happening for everybody? I know it didn't happen for me, but do we need a degree to be successful? I don't believe so. Do we need do we need to be successful? I believe everybody needs to be, however that's measured. And so I just want to be the catalyst for that. And when I look at my life and I look at the challenges that I've faced, I, I've, I've got a problem in my brain. I don't accept that people choose to be mediocre. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll give you another example. Fat people, mm -hmm. okay? 90% or 95% of fat people are fat because they eat too much. There is a small percentage that are fat because they have a medical condition of some sort, but the vast majority are fat because they eat too much. I don't accept that you're a victim. Mm -hmm. That is a condition that you created for yourself, and it can be fixed just as easily as it was created. It really can. Put the potato chips down, stop eating the shawarma, okay? Stop eating the tiramisu and focus on it. And so I don't believe that people should have mediocre lives. I believe that everybody should have a fighting chance of being somebody, mm. whatever that may be. And, and your goal and your obsession may be different. Maybe you want to be an air traffic controller. Maybe you want to be a charity worker. Maybe you want to be a sailor, whatever it is. That level of success is within all of us. We just need to kind of tap into it, okay, and allow it to come out. And that's why personal development for me matters. And that's why I think everyone should take it seriously. But a question here. A lot of people, you want to help them. But sometimes you see that people that they even don't want to help themselves. Yeah. Do you bother yourself to push for, for them more or you just back off? I refuse to give up on people. I just can't. Mm -hmm. 
let's go a little bit to your companies. You established the Blue Sky Thinking Group, mm-hmm. right? And according to my readings, it's worth more than 100 mil. From a business standpoint, how do you, as Spencer, scale this kind of group to reach 100 plus mil as a general advice for people? So, so, so there's, there's an answer that I can give where I can pat myself on the back and I can say, you know, I worked really hard and I had great strategies, but that's not the truth. The truth is I have an incredible business partner that is way smarter than me, way more creative, way more thorough. And her way of looking at business was different to the standard ways people do. Mm. And we've worked together for 18 years. She's 15 years younger than me. I first met her when she was 19 years old. And she came to work for me and I could see straight away when I like to talk about potential, I could see the potential and I tried to promote her. I'm not ready for promotion yet. You know, she fought against it. She was uncomfortable, but I, I, I could see, I could see what she was able to be. So I kept promoting her and kept promoting her until we got to a point within an organization that we were part of, that it was time to go and do our own thing. And we set up a business. And when we set up a business together, it, those, those things that defined us differently started to become very clear. It started to be that she was very much the yin to my yang. We were very opposite. Whereas I thought we weren't so opposite. And when she's stressed, she buries herself in research. When I'm stressed, <laughs> I go for a walk. <laughs> and so and so, she has been busy being the very cautious and creative part of the business along the way. Her name's Danielle. And we started a wealth management business together. And she came and she said, I've got an idea that we should do insurance. This is the reasons why. And I'm like, I don't really understand insurance. And she said, it's not a short-term thing. This is a long-term recurring revenue business. It could be huge. And I was like, okay, fine, let's do it. And she went off and did that. We had some people with some software one day that came to our office again. Daniel's like, these people these people have got some software that we should, we should get. Um, I didn't understand the software. It was way too complicated for my brain. But Daniel knew. So if you look at all of the decisions that have been made in the business that have been smart decisions, Danielle's made them. Mm-hmm. Now, in the early years, she was the person that would come to me, present the idea, brainstorm it with me, and uh, find my agreement. We've gone way past that mm-hmm. now. She's the boss now. So when you look at the, the the women that are in my life, you have Sarah, my PA. Mm-hmm. She's been with me for 16, 17 years. She runs everything for me. She's the boss. I report to her. Danielle's the boss of the companies. And, and in essence, I report to Danny. You know, we talk to each other every single day. I go to the office once or twice a month and she's the boss. And I, as much as I can sit down and say, you know, I've done this and I've done that. This, the, the only one skill that I have that's better than most people, apart from sales, is I have the ability to identify really good people. And I have the ability to convince them, persuade them, encourage them to align with me and stay loyal and move forward with me. Over and 30 years, it's amazing. Over over longer. Uh, Danielle's been with me for much longer. So this, this Danielle's, what, 38 years old now? She was 19 when she joined me. Okay, she started as an employee and then became a business partner. And now, in essence, she's the figurehead. And she hates this stuff, this old podcast cameras and all that. She's like, sod that. You go and do the camera stuff. She doesn't like, not interested. Okay, it doesn't do anything for her, doesn't make her happy, doesn't fill her up. Like you and I yeah. go, we love podcasts, yeah? She's like, help, no. And if she has to do it, she'll do it, but she just doesn't want to. So 
she's just that kind of person and I respect that in her, you know? And so she'll drive me mad. She'll say, you said this wrong, this this thing wrong on a podcast and you weren't exactly accurate about that. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I got it wrong again. But she's definitely the, she's definitely the meat and, 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 and bones behind this. And so as the company has grown into, into a bigger and bigger group, you, you have this lady that's really the, the forefront of that. And I've got nothing but gratitude for what she's done over the years. I love that. A question here. How do you identify these type of people? What do you look for? I think that, I've made as many mistakes as I've got it right, but I'm the kind of person that I don't procrastinate about much. Mm. So I don't sit and, and I overthink anything. My belief is make a decision. If it's a bad decision, you could always make a new decision. Sure. If you make no decision, you're in the same place you were before, before you started the journey. So I'd rather make a decision and make a bad one than not make one at all. People like Danielle come around once in a blue moon. You know I mean, I've, I've, I've never experienced anyone since quite quite as talented and as gifted as her, um, with the, with the the, the level of um, ethics uh, that she has. I haven't, but you know, there's another guy called James that works for me, and James has been with me again for probably a similar amount of time. He's hilarious. He's so much fun. Whenever you're with him, he he gives me energy when I'm with him. I mean, honestly, I'm I'm with him. I can't go. He's a lot, he's a lot younger than me, um, and he's been there a long time, and you know. Some people liked him and some people didn't along the way, but he's been extremely loyal. Okay, he's worked hard. And he repeated loyal a lot. A lot. Mm -hmm. Loyal, loyal, loyalty. Yeah, that's number one in your list, I believe. You know, Simon Sinek said like you can teach skills, you can teach, you can teach whatever you want, but loyalty it's very hard. So you need to spot that in people, and you cultivate it as well. In sales, most people, because they don't get salaries, I would call them mercenary. Mm -hmm, you know, in sales, they'll jump jump to the next person that's offering, you know, the different color company car and the new Mont Blanc pen, you know, you know easy, you know. We'll buy you cufflinks. Okay, I'm coming, you know. <laughs> um, and so in sales, you, you get that, that mercenary behavior. So I've had a lot of people over the years that have come and gone, people that I thought were going to be amazing that weren't, people that I wasn't so sure about that were good. Um, and when you're in a commission-based environment, as we had been for many, many years, those types of people come into those environments. Mm -hmm. um, but the core group of people that have been there for a long time, there's a lady called Nadia that's been our accountant for a long, long time. And it's just fiercely loyal because they believe in the mission. Um, they care very much about the people they work with and they have a high set of moral standards. I mm -hmm. love that. Make it happen company. You said it was born out of frustration. Mm. Why is that? Well, if you... If you go to any company here in Dubai, let's say we, we, you and I go and visit next week 100 different companies in Dubai that sell something. Yeah. I will guarantee you that nearly all of those companies do not train their sales staff the right way, mm. if at all. So there's a problem in this understanding of what sales is. Now, some people will say, well, if you're a great salesman, it's because you're a natural communicator. You're... You've got mm. the gift of the gap. You've, you've got the ability. You've got the charm, the pizzazz and the charisma. And I'm like, really? Because a great salesman to me is somebody that is dedicated to their craft in terms of understanding product, but also dedicated to the skill and, and craft of being a professional salesperson, which is a skill. You, you can't just be good at chatting to girls to be a good salesperson. You, you need to understand that there's a whole process involved in this. And if you learn it and you understand the skills and you execute well, the reward is in incredible. Most people don't get trained very well. So I sat there looking at this marketplace saying to myself, why are people not training properly? And invariably, it was because the people that were doing the, tr the, the, the running these businesses weren't great themselves either. Mm -hmm. 
and they'd they'd been told along the way you'll make a good salesperson and so they fell into sales or they studied something and they were bad at it and they fell into sales or somebody one day said to them you could make a lot of money in sales and they fell into sales and and so for me it's like I need I need to find a way to give people the skills so my first approach was why don't I build an online course and I made a big mistake in the beginning because sales is really detailed and complicated in my head Mm -hmm. so you need to teach every part of it and so I created 440 videos Okay, and hours and hours and hours of content teaching the A to Z of sales. Okay, front to back, inside out, back to front, doesn't matter what. Mm-hmm. Everything you would ever need to know about sales is there. And what happened is I I, I launched it as an online product. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first month in 2016, I think we had 900 people sign up in the month. So I'm like, yeah. I know online sales. <laughs> I'm an online sales <laughs> And it was $1,000 each to sign up rather than 2000 So it's a fifth sentence. So I've made nearly a million dollars in a month. <laughs> I'm what, the best. What would you like to know about online sales? Let me teach you. <laughs> and then the second month, they went, bleh. And it, it fell off a cliff. Uh-huh. And, and what I started to realize is that, because you know how many, how many people log in and how long they log in for and all this kind of stuff. I noticed that people were doing the first part of it, but not, not the majority. Mm-hmm. And they were dropping off the amount of time they were staying in the program. And so that I went back to them and started to ask the feedback. Mm-hmm. And they went, it's really long, you know, it's like a month's worth of study. Mm-hmm. And then it brought me back to remembering what people actually want. So there's three things in life that if you sell these three things, you will, you, you could be a billionaire mm-hmm. if you knew how to do it well. So one of them, okay, if you and I had a business where we created a tablet, a pill, and that pill helped you lose 20 kilos in the next four weeks just by taking that pill once, mm-hmm. we would never be able to make enough pills. Speed. We could make a fortune, yeah? An absolute fortune. Second thing, okay, you and I set up a business where in four weeks you could become a millionaire by investing $1, okay? Get rich quick, through, okay? Mm-hmm. We, would, we would make a fortune, yeah? Because mm-hmm. everybody would want that. And the last thing that people want is significance, a million followers. If I can help you get a million followers in the next four weeks, done. we're sold, yeah? So when you look at what people actually want... These are nuggets, guys, seriously. People want the quick fix, Nobody wants to go through. It's like learning to drive a car. You don't want to take 19 hours of lessons over 19 weeks. You know, it's just like, no, no, no. Can I take all the lessons in one day and take my test tomorrow? Mm. Everything is all about this quick fix. We want everything quickly. And anyone that's ever built a business will know that there's no such thing as a quick fix to business. It takes Mm. time. However, business owners learn that after the mistakes they make. Most people don't. And so I had to look at this course that I'd created and say to myself, is this the solution? I, I had to be honest, you know, it's my solution because I love sales. But most people were taking the course because they wanted to make some sales quick. And that became a challenge. And so then I evolved into the, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm, so I did a tour around the Middle East. <laughs> I went to here, to Abu Dhabi, uh, Doha, uh, Muscat, um, uh, Beirut, Cairo, um, Kuwait, uh, Bahrain, uh, I think that's all of them, uh, maybe one. Other. I went to all of these countries and I did a seminar in each country because I wanted to learn how Arabs took this information. So this is what we learned. In Dubai, everyone showed up on time, 150 people came, perfect. Abu Dhabi, everyone was 45 minutes late. <laughs> that happened. Oman, everybody was asleep before they got there. 
it was just like really oh yeah yeah um we then got to doha and by mistake the hotel that we had the the ballroom that we were using the hotel insisted on putting a buffet on outside for all the guests so we couldn't get anyone inside to sit down they were busy finishing the buffet off then we got going and then there were some people that were late um q8 only half of the people showed up but they were the highest number that converted so half of the audience converted to, to to want to buy what I was selling. So that was really interesting data. Then to Beirut, crazy energy. It was really we had to we had to stop people coming because we didn't have enough space for them. So we had thirty people. We had to mm-hmm. we had to leave on the outside. And then came Cairo, 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 Cairo. So we had a ballroom at the Radisson Hotel, um, not far from the airport. And that ballroom was capable of holding one hundred and fifty people. Three hundred and sixty people showed up. So we had to get the other ballroom open so that we could extend it. Okay, we had no idea of this. The interest from Cairo was off the charts. Affordability was where the challenge was. True. Mm-hmm. So Lebanon, great. Dubai, great. Um, in terms of conversions, Kuwait, great. Uh, Bahrain, okay. Oman, a bit sleepy. Cairo, so many people wanted to buy this course, but the course wasn't online. The course was with me, but the affordability wasn't there. So I got an understanding. Mm-hmm. I could see people wanted to learn. But I also saw that people were saying, why isn't my company paying for me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, why are they saying that? Why do these people think that their company should pay? And they're like, well, if I'm going to be making money for the company, why don't the company pay to train me? Mm-hmm. And that's not a mentality that we have in the UK. Mm-hmm, true. But it's definitely a mentality here. So that gave me an idea. I'm like, okay, so what do I need to do here? So I started speaking to companies. And I said, do you need your staff to be trained? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I can run this structure. I can train them for you if you like. And the, and the real estate industry just went whoop, and wrapped their arms around me and said, oh, "You're going to real estate companies, like please, please, please." So I started working with lots of real estate companies. The truth of it was, it it wasn't it wasn't fulfilling me. Mm. Going into companies and training people is okay, but when you're on repeat every day, saying the same thing over and over again, and they're not your employees, they're somebody else's, and they don't have any accountability. To me, that's when it got tough. And then I started to look at the leadership in these companies, and the problem was the leadership but the leadership didn't want to acknowledge that they were the problem and they just wanted to pay us and train the salespeople. It's like, if I train you leaders and you then can then train your staff, you can keep training them and it's going to be much better for your business. No, 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 you train the staff, we'll watch. And the leaders are the ones that would be in that training on their phone, getting up, going and having a cigarette mid-training. Is that, you're not even paying attention. So he just, just lost he, his, he just lost his joy. Here you feel that the ego of the leadership is in the way of their development. I'm massively, mass, not all, but massively. Mm-hmm. Some, some companies, they took it really seriously, but most companies, they didn't. Great. Let's go to the podcast area. Mm-hmm. Spencer Lodge mm-hmm. podcast. You started in 2019, mm-hmm. and I've been talking to you before we go live, that within, uh, I would say, a short period of time, you managed to get a lot of well-known speakers or well-known guests on your podcast. How did you manage that? I, would, I don't want to say that there were no history because whenever you start something, there is no history at the end of the day. So how did you manage to get these type of guests on your podcast? But it all depends on which one because there was different processes for each. But I knew, I knew that ego would have a part in this. Mm-hmm. So I believe with a podcast, you don't need an audience. I believe a podcast is one of the best prospecting tools in the planet, which I'll talk about later. But to get a guest on the show, and I can show you I'll literally 
read one now. So Dr. Shafali is the child psychologist on Oprah Winfrey's TV show. So this is the kind of message I would send out to people. And I'll read this exactly. And it's so for people can learn. Hi, Dr. Shafali. I'm a massive, and it's the words are important. I'm a massive fan of your work. I'm aware you're coming to Dubai for the Sharjah Entrepreneur Festival. And I would love to invite you to be a guest on my award-winning podcast. I would love you, and listen to this, I would love you to inspire my audience as much as you've inspired me. I will gladly interview you in Sharjah at the festival, at your hotel or in my studio. Please, please say yes. My fingers and toes are crossed. But that was the message. Okay. Response. Looked you up. Yes. How? Maybe at my hotel. I'm literally only there for the day on Monday arrive. Go straight to the hotel from the airport. Change talk. Here's my email address. Book it in. Yeah. So what I do is I I feed into people's ego. I want you to inspire me as I want you to inspire my audience as much as you inspired me. When you feed into that, people go, well, maybe I can do a bit of inspiring. Maybe maybe I can inspire a few people. Maybe I'm happy. So there's that aspect too. But also, I think that my background is is one where I've demonstrated that I'm a professional. I've demonstrated that I can be successful. I've demonstrated that I've achieved stuff already. So I'm not, I'm not you know, some weirdo that's got a podcast. So there's an element of that. When it came to Tony Robbins, my friend Omar, gee, man, so funny. And then we, we found the video the other day. And um, uh, so the way that it, the true story was the following. Omar knew the private stewardess on Tony Robbins' plane. Mm-hmm. And Omar said to me, I can, I, I, I can get hold of her. So I'm like, mm, okay. We then contacted his manager. She told us no. We then t- contacted his publicity, publicity lady, uh, Jennifer. And um, she said no. So we sent her some flowers. She said no. So we sent her some cupcakes. She said yes. Um, and she said, send us a video and I'll send it, I'll send it to the stewardess. So he's, and Omar and I literally in the studio going, Tony, it is literally, Tony, Tony. It's not about, it's, it's not about resources, resourcefulness. It's been a resource, it's about resourcefulness. And we, no, 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 no. And we did this video and we and um, went at him a little bit. And um, it must have been 45 seconds. And so we did this video and it was sent across. She then on his flight here, she showed him. And, and when she showed him, and then this is how hard it was because Najahi held the Tony Robbins event here. Yeah. Najahi sponsored my podcast. And I'm like, I want to interview Tony. They're like, no one's going to let you. You can't, it's not happening. You know, he's with Shane Mohammed, you know, he's not happening. But anyway, the, he, he saw the video and he said, who are these guys? Go on then, we'll do it. And, and that's how it happened. And that's how we got Tony. And then once I got Tony, I, I was able to leverage Tony. And I, look, Tony Robbins has been on the show. Okay, would you come? Well, if Tony's been, then okay, you know. And then if Gary Vaynerchuk's been, oh, okay. If Grant Cardona's been. And so... And we just we just paid attention to their movements when we knew they were in town. Okay, we paid attention to the movements, and and we did our best to try and be valuable to them in some way. And so we tried to make high quality content. We tried to give them micros that they could use that was valuable for them and put put them in a great light. And so that's really how we got going. One of the things is to feed the ego of people. Everybody, everyone loves attention, don't they? Everyone loves significance. But if again, if nobody has a back like a history mm-hmm. you just feed the ego you show that they, you, they inspire you and you want them to inspire the audience you think that's the way to go mm-hmm. 100% okay I'll leave a little bit of the podcast and I'll go about personal development mm-hmm. you have no university degree mm-hmm. so you believe 100% in personal development can you tell people why you didn't go to university was it your choice or not I wasn't intelligent enough they wouldn't have me <laughs> then how how it happened 
with personal development. So why you thought that personal development is your way? I just think that, you know, I, I got these CDs called Get the Edge, the Tony Robbins uh, six CD set, and I had in the back of my car in the old CD stacker. And I was living in a country where the radio wasn't in English. I was in Brazil, so everything was Portuguese. And when I'm in the car and you can't listen to the radio because it's all bloody Brazilian samba music, you know, you don't want to listen to it. Bear in mind, this is not how it is today, but back then. And all I had playing was these CDs over and over and over again. Tony Robbins, Get the Edge, this, this, this training program. And I listened to it all day, every day, whenever I was in the car, whenever I was in the car, during working hours, at the end of the day, for two years. And it taught me to rethink how I approach things. It taught me to start believing in myself more. It taught me to understand, you know, the actions I could take, the goals that I could set and how I would break those goals down. It taught me these kind of like real core principles. And I started applying them and I started to get results from it. And so I knew that there was value in it. And like anything, we're eager to learn something when we know there's value. Mm-hmm. Whoever you are, whatever the value is you see. And so a kid that loves skateboarding is keen to learn about how to be a better skateboarder, mm-hmm. you know, and then in business and making money, what do we want to do? How do we learn to make more money? You know, and when you're younger, you're less dismissive. True. Okay. You're more willing to say, do you know what? I'm listening to that with an open mind Good and time. I'll give it a try. And that's the first step to taking personal development seriously. Me, every single day, I listen to something. You have to train your brain every single day. I don't miss a day where I don't give myself something positive something that can be constructive and something that can make me think about how I can go about being better. Mm-hmm. What is successful? As, as, as a young person, it was money because it was numbers. Nowadays, success has nothing to do with that. I care. I, I have enough money. I don't need money. I, I care about the difference I can make. And I'm, I care about the difference I can make to people that, that are in a much tougher position than me. Mm-hmm. And so all of the work I do with the documentary we made on human trafficking, along with uh, the children that I helped from Bangladesh, these people are, are so have had such difficult lives. When I when I look at success, it's coming away from spending time with them and know that I've left them in a better place than they were beforehand. That's to me, that that's the, that's the win. That's the big W. Everything that's related to money, I, I, I can tell she's twenty years or twenty one years old. Okay, I I can't stress how important it is for a young person like you to understand that Chanel. Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada are a big scam to try and take your money or your boyfriend's money from you uh, or him, okay, for you to have these material possessions that are worth nothing. They will give you nothing. Just like the guy that needs the Ferrari, it will be a great car for six weeks. Then it's just a car, okay? The first time it breaks down, it's a piece of shit, okay? These things are not a measurement of success. What's a measurement of success is when you die, the day you're born on a headstone has a date, the year. So I was born in 1970. Let's say I die, okay, in 2050, let's say. There'll be a dash between those two dates. What does that mean? What does your life mean? Who did you help? Who did you try and make their life better? What did you do? Oh, I was a great mum. So what? So was everyone else. Okay. I was a great um, uh, uh, office worker. whoop de doo Who did you help? And how did you make their life better? And once I realized that, I realized that everything relating to buying stuff, okay, is pointless. 
A Chanel handbag is $5,000, $20,000 dirhams, whatever it may be, that kind of money. You know what you can do with that for children from Bangladesh. I can put them in school here for two years. What is, what's more important? How, how is the handbag of any significance? You know, guys in the nightclub with the bottles of champagne, giving it, the bottles of vodka, giving it all this nonsense. It's like, and the great thing about Muslims is they have this opportunity once a year, okay, to, whether they go to Hajj or not, but, but to understand and, 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 and recognize and identify with people that are, are worse off than them. And that holy month of Ramadan, I love. What I don't love mm. is why it's a holy month. Yeah. I don't get that because the way you solve all of the world's problems is you get everybody to be focused on being kind to their neighbor. Just be kind to the person next to you. Just be so kind you couldn't believe. Because if everyone's kind to everyone, that goes in a big circle and we're all solved in a week. It's, it's like the problems are gone. But we refuse because we're selfish, we're self-centered, we focus on us, me, ego, me, me, me. Okay, what have I got? What can I get? Okay, but what does it mean? If you're, if you, if you're sick, if I had a heart attack today, okay, right now I had a heart attack and you guys were kind enough to drop me off at a hospital. My wife joins me, I'm in hospital. Okay, what is the most important thing to me? Okay, is to live. True. Okay, there's no handbag that's going to help me with that. There's no, there's no designer shoes that's going to help me with that. There's none of that's going to work. The only thing that's going to help me live, and the the most focus I need is on how I make sure I get the best medical care. Okay, to make sure that I'm I'm treated well and I survive. We constantly wrapped up in bullshit nonsense. Okay, constantly following and pursuing because of marketing and branding. And because of Shakeside Road logos or going into Fashion Avenue in Dubai Mall, thinking that these things are significant, they're not. That one of the most incredible human beings I know is a lady called Maria Concia Sauer. She gave her whole life up to these, her whole life up to these kids. She's had 682 kids. She's saved their lives. Okay. She's worth so much and so successful and so impactful. She can't even see it. We're sitting here going, oh, look at me in my convertible BMW. Or, hey, guess what? Okay, I've got my Jimmy Choo's on today. I'm going to be a better girl. It's like, don't stop, stop. And that's why I think so much of society is messed up. We have to, we have to remember the lessons our parents taught us when we were young. And then the lessons our grandparents taught us when we were even younger. And those lessons still to this day matter. You know, you look at any religious book, and I'm not religious. It's, every book's the same. Break it down. It basically says, be kind, be a good person, treat people how you'd like to be treated, work hard, provide for your family, protect and make sure they have a safe and so every Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, it's the same. It's just a book of rules of life. And those book of rules of life are about being kind, okay, and doing your best. So get rid of the nonsense. And if you do get rid of the nonsense and you clear that away, and if I could infiltrate brains like yours at 21 years old and convince you, okay, without a shadow of a doubt that this is the most important stuff, your life will be so fulfilling and so rewarding, okay, that you'll wonder, you'll look at people and you'll be like, what are they doing? Okay, what are they doing? It's like, it's just not important. And it took me to get to 40 something to learn that, okay? And, and and I'm glad that I did. Okay, and I I know I don't need to stay. No one needs to stay in a thousand dollar a night suite in a hotel. No one needs to do that. Okay, I have the best memories of my life in third world countries. Mm-hmm. Why is that? I have the best times of my life 
in developing countries, staying in a hotel room with a sheet, a dodgy vibrating air conditioning unit in the corner, okay, and a dripping shower, okay. But I'm connecting with human beings, real people that have been through real stuff. I take my time being in Egypt, okay, real people, okay, real deep connection with people where things are challenging, where you all know that some of it's a little bit shit, okay, but you're together and you'll support each other and fight for each other. And that just to me matters. And so that's why I'm different. He made me speechless. That's really an alpha spotlight. I love the dash on the grave. I loved it. But I want you to tell me why you consider Maria is the most successful person. Why? Just I want you to share this with the people. Well, how many lives, how many lives have you saved? <laughs> that's the truth. She, t she gave up her life to protect, okay, families from the, the slums of Dakar in Bangladesh. 600, 682. Yeah, there's a long story behind that. But 682 kids. I've been to Nepal. We filmed this documentary. I went to Nepal. I met the Badi community. And the Badi community, in, in Nepal, you have a caste system, like in India. 126 castes. Top, bottom. Badi, way below the bottom. I go to their village, which is in the middle of nowhere. We've flown for hours. We're down in, like, in the jungle, in the dead, everything. Like, middle of nowhere. We go there, and every child at the age of eight becomes a prostitute. Every little girl becomes a prostitute. And do you know who makes them a prostitute? Their parents. Mm -hmm. And they have to have sex with men. Policemen. Politicians. Whoever it may be. Sex with men. And they don't know any different. But there was one girl one day went, no, I'm not doing that. And she ran away. And she ran away as she got herself to Kathmandu, which is literally, okay, by car four days across the country. It's that far away. She got herself to Kathmandu and she met a priest. And the priest said, I'll help you. She has taken 700 kids out of this village and brought them to Kathmandu and given them an inter uh, uh, a schooled education, okay, and a future. These, these kids. And I met these kids. And the truth of it is, you, what, what do you wear when you go on Umrah or Hajj? What do you wear? You wear a, a sheet, yeah? Mm. What does it make all of us? The same. Yeah? But that's because we've decided to dress that way. Yeah. Now, a guy could come into this office right now and he could be with a $500,000 watch and he could have a $5,000 suit on and he could think he's more, he's better than you and I, yeah? But the, the fact is, we're all the same. Just because someone comes from a village and has nothing doesn't make them any less worthy than me. Mm -hmm. And so this girl, Hannah, did this. She saved these kids. We were then invited to go and meet the president of the country and film with the president. And the president's there on the, on the cast scale. Hannah's down here. The president took her in her arms and said, I'll fight for you. One of the most remarkable things I've ever seen, and I'm there in the room with the president of this country, Hannah Baddy is a force to be reckoned with because she put other people before herself. She's a hero. How much more successful do you want to be than a bloody hero? You know, why has success got to be managed with mon uh, measured with money? Why has it got to be the cigar? Why has it got to be the gold watch? Why has it got to be the wine? You know, I've got this group of companies. Okay, right, so what do you do with your I make money. So what do you do with the money? I spend it on my things I like to have, you know? How about I, I make this money and I use some of this money to make the lives of other people better. Wow. Purpose. True. Why? How many bedrooms do you need in your house? If you, if you, you and your part, your wife, how many bedrooms do you need? One. If there's you and your wife and a baby, how many do you need? Two. Okay? If you've got three kids, you need four. 
Okay, how many people live in big houses and want even bigger houses? If you've if you've ever had more than one car, you'll realise it's you can't drive them both at the same time. Don't work, you know. So why do you need more than one car? Why do we need more than one watch? You know, my wife says to me, "Why do you need to keep wearing this Garmin watch?" Yeah, mm. and I'm like, "Why do we, why do I wear my Garmin? It's because you got it when you were 53 years ago. Why do you keep wearing it?" I'm like, "Because my daughter's bought that for me." That's my best watch. Mm-hmm. She's like, Spencer, you have other watches. I'm like, but that's my best watch. That's what I wear most of the time. And it's my best watch because it means the most to me because I know my kids took their pocket money and their part-time job money and saved it so that they could buy me this watch. Is it the most expensive thing I own? No, but it's the most meaningful thing that I'm wearing right now. It's that. And so I just think we have to reframe how we think about stuff. And we have to stop looking at this Instagram nonsense and getting seduced by these mm-hmm. these people that are living this perfect nonsense life. They're not. We know they're not. Okay, but the kids are seduced by it. We've got to get past all that. We've got to. We we, we say keeping up with the Joneses yeah. is what we're doing. Again. We've got to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Okay, you're a billionaire. Okay, and I'm a millionaire. Let's say that's the difference. Do you know what the difference between a billion and a million is in seconds? This is a great stat. So a million seconds mm-hmm. is. 11 days mm-hmm. okay a million seconds that adds up to 11 days yeah a billion seconds is 32 years 11 days 32 years big difference right you're the billionaire i'm the millionaire but i spend my time one weekend a month i donate to volunteering that's all that you don't true okay you got more money than me okay i take 10 percent of my income and i give it to people that i feel need it more than me Okay, 10% of mine is a fraction of yours, but I do that. Those small differences, giving a bit of my income away, okay, to people that need it and giving some of my time up, it pays so many dividends, it pays so well that I will never ever be envious of you because I get I get so much more in return than you do. And like they say, these people that have got all this money generally are not happy anyway. That's because they don't focus on gratitude, they don't focus on giving, they focus on me and more and more. But this you learned by time or it was always with you? Like, I, I think that up until I was, up until I was, because I was in an environment and that's it. You're in an environment and I was in the wrong environment. I was in the environment where you need to make money because guess what? Your success is measured by how much money you get paid. It's like, how did I get, how did I get roped into that? How did, how did someone con me to think, you know, and that happens to a lot of people. And the, but again, you see it online, you see this like pursuing material wealth. Okay, there isn't there isn't anything more valuable, anything that will pay you as much, anything that will do you as many favors as kindness towards others. So I think if everyone just focused on that, we'd all win. Anybody can be an entrepreneur or not? No, 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 no. Do you suggest for people to be an entrepreneur or start the entrepreneurship journey or try to have a job? No, I don't think I don't think everybody can be an entrepreneur. I really don't. I really I don't believe that everyone has the same appetite for risk, and I think that. Being an intrapreneur is more suitable for people than being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? If you go and work for, I don't know, let's, let's say a network marketing company. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know, in, um, forever living. Mm-hmm. Let's take that. The Herbal Life, whatever. Mm-hmm. They have the product or products. They have the sales strategy. They have the uh, approach. They have the branding. They have the company formation. They've done all of that for you. All you have to do is go and sell the product. Mm-hmm. By doing that, you're not you're not carrying all of the risk of having to pay for lawyers to establish a company and employ people, blah, 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 blah. An entrepreneur is somebody that works within a business 
okay, but is enabled to be able to go out and, and generate as much revenue as they want. Now, I think that that's the place everybody needs to start. Once you've been in there long enough and you think you can go on your own, the first measurement of whether you can go on your own is your ability to write a business plan. And most, most people can't. If you can write a thorough business plan and you can have that business plan checked by people that know and they say you've written a good plan and you, it's possible to execute, then you've got to ask yourself a question, can you execute? Being an entrepreneur is lonely, like really lonely. And no one's giving you a pat on the back. No one's giving you a high five. No one's telling you, well done. It's really lonely. And so, and I don't think everybody, any, any, everybody wants to go and suffer like that because it is suffering, you know. It's not, you know, for anyone that's been an entrepreneur, as you all know, it's like, it's not sunshine and rainbows. It's, it's shit for years. And you ask yourself mm -hmm. questions over and over. Why am I doing this? Should I not do it? Should I, should I give up? Should I, you know, all these questions. And a, a true entrepreneur is somebody that can keep going. Okay, they can keep going. They see the problems as opportunities. They see the challenges as just a challenge. They see the, you know, the brink of collapse. True. Okay, as being an opportunity rather than something that's going to destroy their lives. They have this appetite and this energy and they're prepared to put the 18-hour days in seven days a week. They're prepared to, prepared to give up their vacations. They're prepared to do whatever it takes. Now, when I look at entrepreneurs that are in relationships and married people, I can't tell you how critically important it is to have a partner that supports and fights for you. And it's as dumb as some stuff, like making sure there's food on the table or there's a sandwich in your bag when you go to work. Making sure that the shit that you need to get sorted out is taken care of, the home shit. Mate, that might be the car getting serviced. That might be the clothes being washed. That might be the administration in the business, True. you know. One of a great entrepreneurs I know, his wife is the accountant in the company, okay. And that's, that's her commitment, you know, I'll do the books. I'll do the books. And she's red hot, okay. And he does the rest of it. If you've got a partner that's really supportive, okay, a lot of people have partners that haven't got a clue what their husbands do. Absolutely. What do you do? What does your husband do for a living? He's in finance. Yeah. What does he do in finance? Oh, I don't know. Finance. <laughs> finance. He's a, well, what in finance? You know, is he an accountant? Is he a wealth manager? Is he a stockbroker? Finance. It's like he's in the automobile industry. Okay, so what does he do? Does he sell cars? Don't know. And I'm like, I don't get that. Sure. So if you've got a supportive wife, you've got, you've got a good chance um, of making it. But I just don't believe everybody should be. And I've seen time and time again people fail as entrepreneurs that should never have been entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, this idea, this romance of start your own business and build a company. Social media. That's romance. That's not reality. So that's my opinion. You know, I had, I had a moment in my life when I switched from Samsung to uh, like own business. And it took me a year plus that every day uh -huh. I was looking in the mirror mm -hmm. and I feel that somebody's talking to me, go back, mm -hmm. go back to corporate. It's really tough. And as you said, it takes years to see the results. Mm -hmm. So not everybody's ready for that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about social media. Mm -hmm. So I will not talk about social media like it's needed for our business and so on and so forth. I want to talk about social media selling. Which way Spencer, I would say follow, you know, there is a way like I can, you can sell, uh, you do something then you sell, you do something on social media and you sell, or like what uh, Gary Vee says, you give, 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 and buy. Which approach do you? So there's push selling and pull selling. So push selling is running loads of ads, generating leads, calling those leads up, trying to go and close them as clients. So that's my push selling approach, okay? Pull selling is when you drag people to you. And you drag people to you by pr providing them lots of value. Mm. And if you provide them lots of value, they'll come to you. And when they come to you, they're ready to buy. Sure. Each of them requires a strategy. 
depending on what you sell, if you and I are selling toothbrushes, I'd probably go push selling. Okay. If you and I are selling something that's high ticket, we want to demonstrate that we're trustworthy. We want to demonstrate we know our shit. Uh, and by producing high quality content, we can do that. Um, but also when you're selling something that's high ticket, generally you're not selling one to many, you're selling one to one. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I looked at how all ad campaigns have been run over the years from Facebook ads in the early days to Google and everything else and YouTube and stuff. And of course, there are some products that that, that type of that approach is really valuable. I look at, at podcasting as being a brilliant way of doing business if you're in the high ticket space. So let's say you and I are in business and we had a podcast and I said, right, write down a list of the 30 people that you would like to do business with. And I'll write a list down of the 30 people I would. And then we go and get those 60 people on the yeah. podcast. And then we interview every one of them. And then two weeks later, we call them up and say, thank you so much for the time. You're, and my audience loves you. Can I buy you a coffee? Mm. They're all going to have a coffee for sure. That's the first thing. Second thing, okay, they may not be the decision maker in the business. But if they're the boss, they'll point you in the direction of who is. And then you can talk to them. Now, that sounds like a lot of common sense, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Okay. Kind of, that's a bit of a no-brainer. Do we need three cameras, lights, and all the screens and the recording equipment? No, you don't. You need a mobile phone and a jack and two microphones. That's what you need to start a podcast. You, you, can, you can go to their office. You can go to their home. You can meet in a hotel. You can bring them to your office. You can sit. The acoustics are great in a car. You could sit in a car and do it. So what's it going to cost you? It doesn't cost you anything. Okay. Oh, you've got to design a thumbnail. Oh, you've got to register your podcast somewhere. Okay. Well, why don't you first of all record 10 and then we can do all that afterwards. Yeah. What's your podcast called? Haven't decided yet, but you're prospecting. So for me, when you're in the high ticket space, um, then I think it's, you know, a podcast is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, one of the, the classiest and coolest and most impactful ways. Because after seeing those 60 people going on, on a podcast, Go and have a coffee. Everyone's going to say yes. So now we've had 60 first meetings to, to, to demonstrate our product or service or introduce it. Okay. And even if you only convert from those meetings, half of them, and then you convert half again, you've made 15 sales from 60 podcasts. And if you're selling something that costs 10000 or $20,000, happy days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. cool. so, so, which, I, which I'm like, and this is why I think it's almost like a, you know, when you said lots of people do podcasts, they're not. And it's like, it's like hardly anybody is in the grand scheme of things. And it's like, why? Oh, it's all about how many downloads you get. It doesn't matter. Okay. You now have established a relationship with me today. We've laughed a bit. Okay. We've talked a bit. We've gone into some deep emotional areas as well as we've been on this conversation. Okay. Do you think in two weeks time, if you call me up and say, hey, Spencer, I want to buy you a coffee. What am I going to say? Yes. And you meet me and you're like, Spence, I've got, I need some advice with this, or I've got an idea here, or I'd, I'd like to talk about this. Can you, could you help me? I'm having that coffee. I'm having the coffee. True. A lot of people think about podcasting in a totally different angle. Like, I just need the views. I need the clicks. I need the downloads. They don't look at it from this perspective. And nobody has the breath to go for long. You know, you told me a very interesting statistics that almost nobody continues the podcast after the you said how many? 7%, 7% continue after after 100 episodes. It's not. Spencer, a quick thing. You worked a lot on finance. Mm -hmm. And of course, you do a lot of investments. Like there are two things now which is extremely hot. Being an entrepreneur, because a lot of people see the fancy things, and doing investments. So what type of investments Spencer likes to do? You have a wealth management company as well. Mm -hmm. And what kind of advice do you give to people who wants to invest? 
Well, I don't, I don't give advice to anyone anymore. So I have a team of people that, mm -hmm. um, or Danielle has a team of people that, that are wealth managers and the approach from a professional wealth manager is a holistic approach to make sure that that individual or that person that's married with a family protects their assets, grows their assets and achieves the goals they want to achieve. And whether that's retirement or um, education fee planning or whatever that might be. That's holistic financial planning. When it comes to the way that I look at money, I look at it slightly differently. So with my own investments, I make different types of investments. I look for income generating investments. Um, I look for interesting stories, things that I can get behind and research and believe. Um, and I believe that you know, everyone seems to have this idea of we need to get this pot of money of X squillion that we need to get. Mm -hmm. And then we can live off the income from that pot of money when we're 65. And I'm like, if your income, let's say your salary is $10,000 a month. To me, the objective has got to be, how do I replace that $10,000 a month? If I can find a way to replace that without having to go, so earned income of 10,000 converted to passive income of 10,000. The moment you're in that space, you actually no longer need to work. And that job that you were doing that you didn't love, you don't need to do. Now you can go and pursue something that you care about, that's meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. I got to a place where I was able to generate income from my investments that were more than I was earning for the hours I was putting in. Now I don't need to work. I don't need to work, which means I've got the money coming in and I can focus like on the documentary, like with the charities and all that kind of stuff. I get a chance to do that. So to me, it's that freedom of choice, get, getting you to a place as soon as you possibly can where you can say, I'm going to do what the hell I want, when the hell I want. And if I'm going to sit in my pajamas all day long today, True. so be it. But what vehicles do you use? What, like if people were thinking, to, okay, I want to do that. What kind of vehicles you, I would say recommend advice. Well, you can, you can look at those two ways. You could take property, for example. Right. You can create passive income from rental income on property. That's one way you could do it. You can take dividends from high, high dividend yield stock. Um, you know, if you want to go as far as the crypto space, you can stake your crypto. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got stuff to do there. Um, anything that you can look at that can provide an income, either annually, quarterly, six monthly, whatever it is, anything you can provide. There, then there's a million options out there. Okay. A lot of people say, I don't know where to start. Okay, you've got two choices. To start or not to start. Yeah. So if you're going to start, how are you going to do it? Okay. Go. You don't need to do anything. Just go on YouTube. Type in, how do I make passive income from my... How do I make a passive income from my investments? Or how do I invest for passive income? There's a, there'll be a thousand videos. Now, some of them will be nonsense, but you'll start to learn and become wise to it and aware so, and start to think. I think that's really important to understand. I think there's a lot of naivety and a lot of people just asking, what's the solution? Remember... No one wants to do the work, mm -hmm. okay? But if you've worked hard for your money, it's down to you to protect it, and it's down to you to get it working as hard for you as you worked to get it in the first place. So that's as I see it. Okay, before we wrap up, share with us a talent or a skill that you have that nobody knows about. That nobody knows? Yeah. Or f very few close people. Oh, man. Well, I'm a terrible dancer. Ah, but you like to not a talent <laughs> if you're terrible at it yeah I, I that's what i think i don't think there's anything unusual about me i don't think there's anything special about me i, I just i just don't okay singing i don't sing i don't sing i i come from london and we use this term called banter in london and banter is like it's not a girl thing it's a guy thing so let's say you you, we, you and i are part of a football team that football team in the changing rooms getting ready for, to play football uh, half time at the end of the game, okay, going to get a coffee afterwards. Uh, we laugh and joke with each other, okay? Mm -hmm. The boys. Mm -hmm. that, that's banter. Yeah. 
Okay, and I have a quick wit and I'm able to be very sharp with banter with people. And so in my culture in the UK, we do it a lot, especially in London. Um, my wife is from Uzbekistan. She's Armenian by heritage. She doesn't get it at all. She's just like, why did you say that to that? Why did you say that to him? And I'm like, no, it's a joke. She's like, but you, you can't say stuff like that to him. But I don't, I don't think I have, I don't, the people don't know about, very few people know about, I don't know. I don't, I don't know at all. And I'm not sure there is anything. So sorry to disappoint. So I like to hike, I like to climb mountains, I like to wakeboard like to ski, um, and I love Formula One. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay, before we end this interview, we have a ritual, okay? So this ritual, this is called the Alpha <laughs> Memoir, okay? So the, in the Alpha Talks Memoir, I'll be asking you for three things. So the first thing you need to do is to write about the experience of the Alpha Talks podcast. How do you feel about it? The second is to write a question to the next Alpha guest mm -hmm. who will be on the podcast. And the third one, who do you recommend to be our next guest who can really inspire our audiences? Mm -hmm. So closing this, I will ask you the question from mm -hmm. the previous Alpha guest, which says, if you could give advice one to your younger self, what would be that? Advice to my younger self, save 50% of everything you earned and invest it. I read that you made a lot of money and spend a lot. I did a lo long time ago. Yeah. Long time ago, I used to spend a lot. Yeah. I don't anymore. So save fifty percent. Well, the way that I look at it is that my 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 parent, so my wife, my wife's parents are very wealthy, and although my wife costs me a lot of money right now, I'm hoping there's a big inheritance coming. That <laughs> <laughs> maybe cancels out some of that. But um, yeah, I say this to everyone. You know, I say this to my daughters: save fifty percent of everything you earn. Fifty percent. You will be very wealthy very quickly if you save fifty percent of everything you earn. Because a lot of people spend money on stuff they don't need. Um, and so if you say 50% of everything, you, know, you just consider you. You consider you 50%. How long before that builds up? True. Work that invested. True. You know, one of the most successful uh, footballers um, in terms of financial uh, uh, planning and investment advice was a guy called Robbie Fowler who played mm -hmm. for Liverpool. Robbie Fowler, every week he got paid, he bought a house. Now, not expensive houses, cheap houses, yeah? But he bought a house. He's got something like 270 houses. They just kept buying one. Rent it out, buy and rent it out. Small houses, rent it out, rent it out, rent it out. So you build this big portfolio. Most football players, when five years after they retire, go bankrupt. But yet, yet this guy kept buying. So for me, it's like, keep buying, you know, keep keep taking your money, saving it, 50% of it every month. If you earn 10,000, you're going to save 5,000. And people go, I can't save that. Yes, you can. Because there's people that live in Dubai on 500 dirhams. So if you really need to. So save 50%, invest it, and then um, think for the long term. Give yourself a 20-year plan or a, or a 15-year plan. And by the time you get there, you will be laughing. Spencer, thank you very much uh, for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember, alphas aren't born, they're made. It isn't about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity, and making a positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow alphas. Also connect with us on social media at Safer Hakim. Share your thoughts, insights, and stories of personal and business growth with us. 
Let's create a movement of alphas supporting one another. The world needs more alphas like you, exactly. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and stay alpha.